I've been uh, very happy to be here uh, for the last uh, 10 days or so at Abhayagiri. Uh, arrived here on Wednesday, I think, and uh, uh, was here over the Katina weekend and now staying through these days uh, as things get quieter and quieter and rainier and rainier as the, uh, as the days proceed. And uh, yeah, it's very lovely for uh, myself to come and visit and to uh, spend time with the community, also to see the steady and um, very impressive uh, progress of the physical development of the, uh, of the monastery. Uh, this uh, lovely Dhamma Hall now very much in, in a continual use, and then the... Um, other developments around the, the site, the, the four replacement kutis that have been created this year in particular, and uh, the uh, addition of a Santi Vihara where I've been staying, this beautiful house across the road. So it's uh, very pleasing and um, this uh, heartwarming to, to uh, be in the midst of this kind of uh, say signs of development, progress, and also the continuing uh, flow of people to come and uh, uh, practice here, train here, uh, lay people coming to spend time here, shorter and longer periods, and uh, for the um, uh, people entering into monastic life as anagarikas, and then training samaneras as, as bhikkhus, and then also traveling off to other places around the world, different uh, monasteries, different countries, different living situations. So I, I was talking with uh, Joseph Pabakaro, who was my my first teacher in Thailand. He was the abbot of Wat Pananachat when I first showed up there in 1978 and uh, was having a conversation with, uh, with him uh, this morning. He was checking in about a few things. And uh, he was asking what it was like, and I said, "Well, I feel a bit like a proud parent, like, yeah, well, yeah, the 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 kids growing up really well and and uh, doing uh, doing wonderfully in the world. That sense of uh, not that I have been a parent, physical, biological parent in this lifetime, at least not to my knowledge." <laughs> but uh, in terms of um, Parent, parenthood in the Sangha, then it's, uh, it's very very heartwarming, delightful, very pleasing to see. So I've got a proud, proud parent type perceptions have been uh, taking shape uh, during the, this last period of, of time. At least that's what came to mind when I was talking with Joseph uh, uh, today. Also the... Um, uh, the development of three jewels uh, over in, on the coast in uh, in Fort Bragg, uh, where Medica had developed her place and beautiful Dhamma Hall and a living place that uh, so many times she'd mentioned over the years that she wanted to bequeath it to the Sangha when she was no longer uh, alive. And uh, seeing that uh, intention of hers um, taking uh, taking shape, and that uh, Bhikkhus had spent uh, the rains retreat there, also the um, possibility of another place uh, opening up in Humboldt uh, at some point and also Pacific Hermitage, Ajahn Sudanto very definitely getting his roots down in uh, in the forest uh, outside of White Salmon on the uh, the Columbia River, that 
Pacific Hermitage is uh, very well established now. So not only is the kid doing fine, but the kid's been having kids too. So kind of proud grandparent. <laughs> I am that age. Yeah. It's kind of shocking to think uh, when the, Joseph was commenting that uh, you know, I looked quite a bit older in some of the photographs he'd been seeing. It did come to mind that, well, I am the age that Ajahn Chah was when you were looking after him. So that uh, yeah, time does go by. And... Uh, even though one might have a reputation for being forever youthful, still the, 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 the wrinkles keep appearing and everything heads southwards steadily. The force of gravity has a continuing noticeable effect on the, on the, the, uh, the physical form. But also, uh, thinking of uh, Lumpur Cha, and reflecting upon upon progress and that sense of, of development, yeah. Also, uh, Amravati, my, where at the monastery where I'm uh, I'm living, uh, lots of physical development going on there. Building a whole new sala workshop complex right now. That uh, uh, it's easy to forget um, uh, words of Lumpocha that uh, where he said uh, the Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards nor in moving backwards nor in standing still. The Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in, in progress, in, de in degeneration or in stasis. And so uh, we can get very focused and habituated to worldly aims and values and think, oh, you know, uh, no, no buildings is a state of, of uh, weakness, or a small number of people is a state of, of um, I say, poverty or diminution, or, or things being uh, not very strong. And lots of people, or lots of buildings, lots of development is a, a good thing. Um, but uh, Lumpur Chah was extraordinarily wise, and he did a lot of building, <laughs> and had even by the time when he, he uh, couldn't teach anymore, there was. Uh, 80 or 100 branch monasteries and then now there's now 350 or so um, since he uh, uh, have developed in his own lifetime and since he passed away so he was responsible for a lot of development but right at the very core we have these kind of principles that he would remind us of uh, and it was really the last advice he, he gave to Lumpur Sumedho just before he had his, uh, his physical collapse he sent a letter to England which is unprecedented. Lumpur Sumato had never had a, a letter from Ajahn Chah before. <laughs> this, this letter arrived in the post from a Western monk who was living at, uh, at uh, uh, Ajahn Chah's monastery and said, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but uh, Lumpur had me take dictation this morning. And, uh, and so he asked this Western uh, monk to, to write down his message. And in that message, I had that, that very advice, the, the Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. This Sumato is your place of non-abiding. So I feel that these, uh, these words and the, the, uh, the teaching, the, the wisdom that they, they, uh, they, uh, they contain is extraordinarily important. Uh, for us, if we wish to be practicing the Dhamma, you know, it's not about uh, the numbers of people we have as our students or the, the, the number of hours we spend in meditation. It's not about the number of buildings we have or 
even the the mind states that we might be able to develop in formal practice that these these are all in, in a way things that can be measured these are things to do with uh, with the uh, worldly conditions and that uh, when we say that in Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards nor in moving backwards nor in standing still it's not to be found in progress or in diminution or in, in stasis, in stability, then what it's doing is it's helping us to disentangle the attention from those worldly aims and values, the worldly judgments of what is progress, what is degeneration, what is stasis or stability. And we, uh, it encourages us uh, to look beyond that in recent times, I've been uh, re- reflecting a lot on the. There's a, a particular sutta that I've been <coughs> looking at and reflecting on quite a bit uh, recently, and it's um, it's quite rare in the Pali Canon because it's a, a lay uh, a lay person giving a teaching a dhamma teaching to a monk, which is an uncommon situation. It's where the, the householder Jitta is giving some dhamma advice to the monk Godatta, and. Um, it can sound a little bit a bit technical, um, but uh, Godata has asked Jitta, the householder, um, are the uh, is the uh, are the uh, me- uh, the liberation of mind through measurelessness, the liberation of mind through uh, uh, through signlessness, the me- liberation of mind through emptiness, and the liberation of mind through nothingness, are they the same or are they different? <laughs> Uh, are they the same thing or are they different things? So I won't get too technical, but uh, the um, uh, part of the teaching that then the, the, the householder Jitta gives, um, uh, the words have really, really strike me and uh, I found very helpful, very fruitful for, for reflecting, contemplating. Um, it, so in the teaching, as he's uh, spelling it out, he says... Um, that uh, he, uh, raga, passion or, or desire, craving, uh, is a maker of measurement. Hatred, dosa, is a maker of measurement. Uh, delusion, moha, is a maker of measurement. The, um, so that uh, that and so that that mind that is measuring things, progressing, falling apart. Uh, nice and steady, uh, that those kind of judgments, if we take them as absolute and real, then they're, they're naturally based on, uh, on raga, dosa, and moha, on, on passion, on aversion, and on delusion. And then uh, he, uh, in the other categories, he, uh, he says, uh, the, uh, the, on the, the question about liberation of mind through, through nothingness, uh, he says that uh, passion, raga, is a, is a something. Hatred is a something. Delusion is a something. And so that the, uh, 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 when, as long as the mind is making somethings, <laughs> is making the world of things into uh, that which is solid, that which is ownable, that which is uh, say, uh, complete and... Uh, independent, uh, that uh, something that is possessed 
by us that I have got this the uh, the these robes or you know this body that sense of it's a, 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 a something the degree to which the mind makes somethings <laughs> it creates the world of independent separate permanent things then that's naturally tied up with passion with aversion with with uh, with delusion and then uh, also in that same analysis and he says uh, the uh, the the one about uh, signlessness, liberation of mind through signlessness, he says, uh, passion, uh, desire, craving is a maker of signs. Uh, hatred is a maker of signs. Delusion is a maker of signs. So that the uh, uh, that which is um, uh, you might think making signs is kind of useful around the monastery, you know. This is the bathroom, this is the office, no entry, quiet area. <laughs> Most monasteries have lots of signs, but it's a, and a more, uh, say, profound meaning of not, not being a maker of signs. So that which is designating, that which the, the, the mind takes a designation as, um, as uh, say, good or bad, beautiful, ugly, uh, appropriate, inappropriate, uh, we we label things in these ways, makings of measurement of, is it uh, this is big, this is small, this is comfortable, this is uncomfortable, this is beautiful, this is ugly, you know all these different ways that the, the mind invests the world of perception, and the the the, the habits of judgment, measuring things, uh, defining things, um, the uh, the designation of things, the, all these different ways that the mind takes sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, memory, ideas, and then believes in them, takes them to be solid and absolute and real, that uh, that's all uh, uh, contributing to the, the, the limitation of mind. And it's the, the, the wisdom faculty that lets go of measurement, that lets go of thingness, that lets go of, si- uh, of designation. That's where we can genuinely find our freedom, our fulfillment, uh, find genuine happiness, genuine peace, genuine ease uh, in our hearts. I, I realize these are, this is, sound, may sound a little bit um, esoteric, but I do find the, these words very very helpful to to uh, to ponder the pali for them that the the maker of measurement or uh, is pamana karana and the um, the word for something is uh, kinchana and the word for maker of signs in case uh, <laughs> you, want, you want to have a title for the monastery sign maker is the nimitta karana the one the one who makes signs and so that that um uh, these are the Pali terms for that. But just to be able to track the way during the course of, of any day, the mind may, uh, gets born into comparisons. This is big, this is small, this is long, this is short, this is a long time, this is a short time, this is taking forever, oh, this has gone too quickly, uh, this is really heavy, this is, this, is, this is very light, this is delicious, this is awful. Yeah. 
it's happened so much. And I, I've mentioned the, I'll talk about this in many Dhamma talks because it's, I feel, such a powerful and prevalent habit in, in the minds of most people during the course of the day. I think I was saying in a Dhamma talk last week how it's staggering the number of judgments of this kind that we, that we make. But uh, just a simple act of having the mindfulness to notice that a judgment is being made, that you're making a measurement, you're making a comparison, that you're, you're making a, 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 a determining a thing into existence, that you're, you're believing in a, in a characteristic, you're saying this is beautiful, that's ugly, this is attractive, this is, this is off-putting. Just that the wisdom mind that knows that judgment is happening that makes all the difference. Uh, the mind that knows a judgment is being made is in that moment free uh, of judging, is, f- is free of creating those kind of limitations. And, and as Lumpur Cha also put it, uh, in this wonderful Dhamma talk of his that's called uh, uh, Convention and Liberation, I think it's the very first one in the uh, collected teachings of Ajahn Chah, and uh, the first opening sentence uh, of that teaching he says all the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation having established them we get lost in them giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion and when we were, I, I helped to edit that that book and and or proofread it and uh, and i thought you could just leave it leave it at that just <laughs> collected teachings of ajahn Chah, like one sentence you know. I mean, that's a bit of a, maybe a bit of a conceited view. There are other very valuable and precious and important teachings throughout that book, but that first sentence it says so much about how we relate to the world, how we relate to our bodies, our relationships, the the people in our lives, the ones we love, the ones we hate, the ones we have opinions about, the people close to us, the people far away. Just to take that one sentence, you know. All the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation. Having established them, we get lost in them, giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion. That's the map, the map of the world, really, I would say. I would say. And that if we can get to know that, uh, that process of creating those, those designations, those conventions, uh, how the mind designates things into existence and then gets lost in those judgments. I approve, I disapprove. This is right, that's wrong. This is beautiful, that's ugly. It should be this way, it shouldn't be this way. Uh, Then there's an extraordinary uh, quality of ease and freedom, peace that that can be found, that our life can can embody a, a great peace. Another of the teachings that I, I like to talk about and uh, quote endlessly, <laughs> again I feel is a, a very, uh, not a very long teaching, quite a short piece that just contains extraordinary uh, wisdom and is really, I feel, uh, uh, describes the, the, the basis of insight meditation, vipassana, practice. And it's in a dialogue between the, the, the wanderer Vachagota and the Buddha. And Vachagota has he used to come regularly to visit the Buddha and ask all kinds of questions. And uh, he's a sort of significant character in, in the, uh, the the stories and uh, uh, the events of the, that are described in the Pali Canon. In this particular encounter, 
he's been asking the Buddha what happens to an enlightened being at the end of, of their life and an enlightened being passes away do they reappear in another world or do they not and the Buddha replies Vacha uh, reappear does not apply so then Vacha got to ask well do they do they not reappear uh, in, an, in another world and the Buddha says Vacha does not reappear that doesn't apply either so to, to try and cover every angle then Vachagata asks so do they both reappear and not reappear and the Buddha says nope that doesn't apply either uh, and then to complete the set he says well do they neither reappear nor not reappear in another realm thinking that well it's got to be one of those four it's got to cover every possible angle and the Buddha says nope <laughs> that doesn't apply either so then Vajrakota says, well, I'm really confused because one of these has got to be the, the, the truth. One's got to be the reality. And then one of the Buddha's most uh, kind of marvelous and, and skillful uh, analogies, uh, you know, there's many, many of these throughout the, the Pali canon, but in this particular encounter, the Buddha says, well, you're asking the question in a way that presumes a reality that doesn't exist. So say, for example, we had a little fire burning here, made of grass and sticks, and, the, and so it's a little fire here in, this, uh, in this, this place where we're sitting, in this cave or wherever. And then we let the fire go out, and I asked you, where did the fire go, north, south, east, or west? What would you say? And Vajrakota says, well, I'd say it's, the question doesn't apply. It didn't go north, south, east, or west. The fire just went out. And the Buddha said, exactly. <laughs> the way you ask the question presumes a reality that doesn't exist reappears doesn't apply doesn't reappear doesn't apply both reappears and doesn't reappear doesn't apply and neither reappears nor doesn't reappear does not apply being doesn't apply going doesn't apply you know <laughs> where uh, doesn't apply all you're asking the question based on, on this say designations that the mind is making about time identity location and uh, the, these presumptions are, are, are false. They're, they're not based on reality. So then the, the, the second part of the teaching, which is the one that I find extraordinarily helpful and profound, and uh, it's really, as I said, really describing the uh, essence of insight meditation, the development of wisdom, as we, we understand it in the Buddhist world. So then the Buddha talks about his own nature, uh, he talks about the nature of the Tathagata. And, uh, but I feel that that's completely transferable to the quality of wisdom of our own hearts. When the Buddha says, when he uses the word Tathagata, it's referring to, to him, his own nature, to himself. But I feel that it's, uh, it exactly transfers into the wisdom faculty, the, the uh, quality of awareness of our own hearts. And again, as Lumpur Chah would say, that the, the Buddha refuge, uh, what, uh, what we mean by the Buddha refuge in its essence is that awake, aware capacity of our own hearts. That's the refuge, that's the safe place, that the fact that our hearts, our minds can be aware, they can know, they can know success and failure, pain and, and, and comfort, they can know praise and criticism, uh, that that awareness can know those polarities of the world and not be confused or limited by those uh, those things that are being known. 
So what he says to Vachagota, he said, uh, when he talks about him, his own nature, and I would say the nature of the heart of, of each of us that is awake and aware and and knowing, he says the Tathagata, you know, that material form whereby one trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him, that's been cut off at the root, made like a palm tree stump, deprived of the conditions of existence and rendered incapable of arising in the future. So too with feeling, with perception, mental formations and consciousness. The Tathagata is liberated from being reckoned in terms of material form, of feeling, of perceptions, of mental formations or of discriminative consciousness. He is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. Uh, uh, that's quite grand language. <laughs> and, um, it's not kind of everyday speech that you're using to chat with each other when you meet at Trader Joe's or you know, over the washing up at the monastery. But uh, so it's slightly uh, unusual languaging of things. But uh, uh, I feel what you've got there is say that awake, aware mind. You know, when we're trying to describe you know what we are as living beings, what is the f- the fundamental nature of of life, of reality, of of this being, of that which is real, the the the, the center of each of our lives. Um, and then what the what the Buddha is saying here is that um, one, uh, if we try to describe what we are, what is real, uh, that that quite fundamental quality of awakened awareness uh, is indescribable in terms of material form, of feeling, perception, mental formations, or even of consciousness. One who when trying to describe the Tathagata, would describe him in terms of material form, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. It doesn't apply. It's, those have all been completely let go of. So that awake, aware quality is present. It, it, it knows, just like you know, the mind of each of us gathered here. You know, there's that which is knowing the sound of these words. It's feeling the, the weight of the body on the on the cushion or the chair that feels your, your clothes on your skin, or the... The kind of moods of understanding or not understanding, or um, somewhere in between, a mixture. That uh, this quality of awakened awareness, it knows those patterns of perception, but it can't be defined uh, in terms of those those patterns. Uh, so, in the phrasing of this this teaching, uh, the 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 Tathagata, that awake aware quality of the heart. Is, limit, is liberated from being reckoned in terms of material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. So that which knows the person isn't a person. That which knows the, 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 the physical body doesn't have a body. That which knows perception isn't a perception. That which knows feelings isn't a feeling. That which knows consciousness isn't a, or discriminative consciousness is not a discriminative consciousness. So that that's uh, rec- recognizing that there is this quality of awakened awareness that's completely uh, transcendent over the five khandhas, is completely liberated from the five khandhas. And this was uh, one of the, the teachings, I think the final teaching that Lumpur Cha received from Lumpur Man when he, uh, he uh, in, in our uh, most 
people are probably familiar with the uh, the story how Ajahn Chah only spent three days with Ajahn Man, and uh, when he was a young uh, wandering bhikkhu, uh, he had a short stay at Ajahn Man's monastery. And on the, the apparently on the third evening, this was the teaching that uh, Venerable Ajahn Man gave to him. He said uh, that yeah, that uh, that which is aware of the five khandhas is completely separate from, completely transcendent of the five khandhas. This is why liberation is possible. If every kind of awareness was somehow tied up with the five khandhas and with birth and death, with the conditioned realm, then liberation would be impossible. But because this quality of awakened awareness, this uh, puru in Thai, or the dhat rule, the element of awareness, or vijadatu, you can call it in Pali, uh, because that is intrinsically transcendent of the five khandhas, therefore liberation is possible. There is this quality of the heart that can know the world, can know the field of perception, but which is not limited by it. It's not burdened by that, it's not bounded or reckonable in, in terms of that. So this was the essential teaching, and then apparently Ajahn Chagav, next day, paid his respects, he packed up his bowl and, and, kept, and kept on with his wanderings. And then when people asked him, why didn't you stay with Lung Man longer? You only were there for three days. And he, uh, I don't think he would have give, given the, the analogy of, a, of an electric light because there wasn't much electricity in northeast Thailand in those days. But it was something along the lines of, well, when, when the light comes on, you don't need to stay close to the light switch. Yeah, that, uh, he, uh, he had... So he received that teaching and, and and had understood it, had really imbibed it. And so he, there was this recognition that he didn't need to stay close to the, the, that which had ignited it because it was a light, that the light of wisdom was, was bright within his own heart. And he took that teaching and then that informed uh, so much of his instruction, guidance and example for, for many years afterwards. So in, in essence, this is uh, uh, supporting the insight into the empty nature of the five khandhas, uh, that uh, the, the wisdom mind knows that the five khandhas are empty, uh, that the, uh, the quality of rupa, material form of this body or the material world uh, around us, there's, there's no thing absolutely uh, there that makes uh, independent, separate, solid things. Uh, so too with with vedana sensations or physical sensations of pleasant feeling painful feeling neutral feeling perceptions of seeing hearing smelling tasting touching uh, sankhara mental formations of thought imagination emotion memory uh, states of concentration you know, all the different modes of of mental activity and then vijnana discriminative consciousness uh, in, in the context of the five khandhas, vijnana is you could say, separative or discriminative consciousness, that, that which is vi means separate or partial, jnana is knowing, so that which distinguishes one thing from another, so discriminative consciousness. So that this uh, saying uh, no to the five khandhas, like, no, <laughs> this is not real, this is not solid, this is not absolute, this is, this is not substantial. When we, we use the word sunya, 
sunya empty to to describe that saying no to the five khandas but then the second part of that, the buddha's comments there i take also as extremely significant uh, where he goes on to say uh, the tathagata is liberated from being reckoned in terms of the five khandas uh, for the body form feeling perception mental formations discriminative consciousness he then goes on to say you know he is profound immeasurable unfathomable like the great ocean so that second part is like well the the tathagata this awake aware quality of the jitta it can't be determined determined or defined or designated in terms of the five khandas but it's real it's profound immeasurable unfathomable like the great ocean and uh, I, when i was out on the coast at uh, three jewels uh, the other day i was i was saying how whenever the um, the, the image of the the ocean or, or that uh, that kind of phraseology is is used in the teachings the uh, the image that comes to mind is 10 mile beach just north of fort bragg which i, I, I didn't uh, didn't visit last week cuz it was pouring with rain and it was kind of stormy <laughs> didn't go out, uh, go out on the 10 mile beach but that's the mental image that, that usually comes to mind I've, I've been there many many times cuz it's a, a long stretch of sand and a very um, kind of open um, um, uh, uh, feel to the place and then the 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 pacific ocean the roaring waves uh, coming in this sense of of the kind of power and potency of of the the ocean and this great spaciousness and so when the the buddha uses that the, that, that kind of phrase of uh, the, the tathagata is profound immeasurable unfathomable like the great ocean so when you're standing at the seashore uh, like 10 mile 10 mile beach or up on a cliff and when you're uh, there at the seashore, mostly, I would say for most people, and why, why the Buddha would use this kind of image, because there's this sense of limitlessness. You know, the, the water just spreads out to the horizon and you can't see to the extent to, to where it goes. And then the, the, the sense of, of powerful presence, the waves kind of rolling in and crashing on the, on the beach a sense of, of uh, potency and uh, the, the powers of, the, of the, the water in motion. And also mystery, you know, wonderment. Like, you can't see what's below the surface. There's a, uh, the, the mind is in a state of wonderment. So that, um, and the immeasurability, that limitlessness. So he is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. So I feel that that is... Uh, just as the, in the first part of that teaching is saying no to the five khandas, you know, the five khandas are empty, they are insubstantial, they are, there's an appearance but there's no essence there. The second part is saying yes to, to the Dhamma, yes to, to uh, the fundamental reality of things. And so that uh, that yesness is, is uh, embodied in the, the, the term tatata, which means suchness, that the in that same gesture of saying, no, the five khandas are empty, it's saying, yes, the Dhamma is real. The, the, the fundamental reality is thus, the, the ultimate reality of things. There's this suchness to the, the present moment experience, the present moment as a uh, apperception of, uh, of reality, the receiving of the heart of this, uh, of mo- of this moment, this present experience, 
as a suchness, and the Pali word for that is tatata. So in that moment of saying no, the moment of insight where the, the, the heart sees through the empty nature of the, of the five khandhas, it's simultaneously saying yes to the, the, the Dhamma, which is unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, which is, which is timeless. Uh, the um, uh, the the most senior Western monk in Thailand for many years he passed away about twelve fifteen years ago. Huh? Champagnuado, two thousand and seven six two thousand and four. Wow! So nearly twenty years ago. So Venerable Panyuado was uh, a, a British monk who was a, a student of of Ajahn Mahabur and. Uh, Went to Thailand in 1961, uh, as already as a bhikkhu, um, and was a student of, of uh, Venerable uh, Achim Mahabur. There was this very, very beautiful phrase that he came up with to to describe this relationship, which is, uh, he said, the five khandhas exist, but they're not real, uh, and the dhamma is real, but it doesn't exist, which might be very confusing. So the word exist, a little bit of um, etymology here. So the Latin uh, root of, uh, of the word, English word exist is exi, which means out, or ex means out, uh, and stere means to stand. So that which stands out, existere, that which stands out. Um, so the, uh, the five khandhas stand out. You can hear my, the sound of my voice. We can feel our, our, our bodies. We can see the colors and shapes of this room. We, the, that uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, uh, and you know, feeling, thinking, remembering, imagining, that all stands out. The sensory world stands out and is apparent. Um, so the, the, the five khandhas exist but they're not real. That <laughs> they're, as I was saying, they're they are hollow, they're empty, they're insubstantial. There's a form, but no essence. And then the Dhamma doesn't stand out. Doesn't exist. Doesn't is not. Uh, it doesn't stand out. It is not, uh, uh, say, obvious or apparent. But it's real. <laughs> it, it, it's the integrative principle that is. Uh, the, the binding agent of, of reality that is the supportive quality. The word dhamma literally means that which upholds or that which integrates. So that's a very neat expression. And the other day at the tea time here, I was, um, it came up in conversation where um, uh, I was quoting, I had a, a, this monastery is very closely associated with City of 10,000 Buddhas, and the, half the land here was the gift of Master Xunhua just before he passed away. And uh, for many years, I, I read a lot of Master Hua's uh, commentaries and many of the translations that his community had made of Dhamma teachings from the Northern tradition. And so he was a very important figure in our community in, in during, the, during the 80s. And so in uh, in one particular very vivid dream I had, uh, Master Hua appeared and spoke in very good English, <laughs> which is unusual. Uh, when I dreamt of Ajahn Shah, he spoke English too, which is very helpful. <laughs> but yeah, in this particular dream, which is relevant to this, the, these reflections I'm giving, uh, Master Hua said, his very brief statement, he said, 
Bright, loud and mobile is the false. Subtle and indistinct is the true. And then I woke up, thought, okay, that's a teaching. So I quickly wrote it down. Bright, loud and mobile is the false. Subtle and indistinct is the true. So again, that's a, a, a helpful phrase to, to sit, uh, sit upon and to, to contemplate, to, to reflect upon. The, um, speak, the, the emptiness of the five khandhas, um, just to speak on that a little bit more, there's a very wonderful teaching of the Buddhas where he was walking by the river uh, in Ayodhya, uh, uh, what's now uh, Ayodhya in, uh, in India, and uh, there was a lump of foam floating on the surface of the, of the river, and, and he pointed to that and said, the material form, rupa, the Rupa Kanda is just like that lump of foam. There, there is a, there's a form, but no essence. And then he went on to to give examples of the other five Kandas. He said, uh, when the <coughs> so material form is like a lump of foam on the river. Um, Vedana, feeling, sensation. He said, like when there's a big rainstorm and the rain raindrops hit the surface of a pond, it, it forms a, a bubble, like a spherical bubble appear, appears for a moment on the surface and then it's there for a moment and then it's it's gone. The Vedana is just like a water bubble, just that as the rain hits the, the pond, it's there for a moment, then it's gone. There's a shape but no essence. And then uh, uh, perception, sanya, is like a mirage, like the images are if you're out in the desert or, uh, or in the hot weather in California, often on the highway, <laughs> you get mirages, you see patches of, it looks like oil on the surface of the, of the road. It's not really an oil patch, it's just the distortion of the light. So a mirage, uh, there's an appearance, there's a form, there's a shape, but there's, there's no essence, there's no thing really there. And then Sankara, he compares to the, like the, the, the trunk of a banana plant, like the, there's leaves that wrap around each other like uh, for, with an onion or a leek. Uh, he said that there's no heartwood in a, in a plantain, in a banana plant. You can peel away the leaves and there's no essence, there's no core, there's no heartwood. So it seems that there's some, a solid trunk there, but you take away the leaves and there's no trunk. It's, there's no, no thing there. And the, the last one, vijnana, discriminative consciousness, he says it's like a conjurer's trick that it seems like there's real magic being done, that this rabbit is really appearing or disappearing, but it's just a, a trick, uh, the skill of the conjurer that makes a, uh, it seem as though something has appeared or disappeared, but it's not, it's not real, it's an appearance without any essence. I feel these these kind of teachings are helpful to get to know and to to reflect upon because they support the moment by moment way that the mind relates to the world, to our body, to our aches and pains, to being uh, getting wet in the rain, to uh, um, the feeling of being with our friends or being in the middle of an argument or uh, being hungry for some food or having uh, uh, a, a, a uh, a period of, of excitement or sleepiness, all the different moods and events and patterns of experience, conversations, relations, that all of that can seem so solid, so so vivid, so real, so compelling, so convincing. 
bright, loud, and mobile. <laughs> it's it, it's just uh, it seems so solid, so real, so substantial. But if we shift that view, if we recollect these teachings, then we're still in the conversation. We're still hungry. We're still wet in the rain. <laughs> but there's a different way that the heart receives it, holds it, knows it. It's like here's the experience of wetness, or here's the experience of being in a conversation. This is the the perception of of tiredness, or this is a perception of, of excitement, of, of something being compelling or irritating. And just that, that, that uh, small quality of spaciousness, just knowing this is an event, this is the feeling of personhood, <laughs> this is the experience of my life and, and the personal qualities. But, and in that moment of, of letting go, of, of not... And buying into those perceptions, not being born into them, and the heart and not entangling itself with those perceptions, but embodying that transcendent awareness of, uh, of that is the Buddha refuge, that awakened awareness of the heart, then the, there's an attunement to, to what's being experienced, but not a, a, not a grasping, not an identification not an entanglement. So as I was saying, that which knows the, the personal, the, you know, the feelings of the body or the, the face in the mirror, that knows this name and this, this story, that which knows the person is not, is not a person. That which knows femininity is not female. That which knows masculinity is not male. That which knows happiness isn't happy. <laughs> that which knows sadness isn't sad. That which knows angry, yeah, uh, angry feelings is not angry. <laughs> You know, this which is aware of, of discomfort is not uncomfortable. It knows discomfort. Here is this experience, but in it, that awareness itself, this knowing quality is not uncomfortable. It's not uh, intrinsically identified with any of that. In the... Um, the... the the, the uh, these teachings, the uh, and these these reflections, they uh, we can hear them and so we can and it can make sense. Hopefully, <laughs> we say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. But the real challenge is then uh, applying moment by moment as your your role in, in the in the in society, in your family, in the community. If you're the abbot of the monastery or you're the youngest danagarika or you're a visiting layperson or you've been here for decades. Yeah, or yeah, this is the first time you've ever been in a monastery. <laughs> uh, wherever wherever we are at, uh, the challenge is to take these these teachings, these principles, and then uh, apply them, and then to uh, to see what the results are of having applied those teachings, having made that that shift of view and that that insight uh, dawns in the heart. To recognize, oh, oh, right, <laughs> that makes a lot of difference. To know this, this which is aware of an angry feeling isn't angry. Like, oh, there's, there's this angry feeling, but uh, but the the heart that knows, well, this uh, this is a hot one, <laughs> is somehow not is not identified with it. Isn't isn't born into it. Is not taking it as absolutely substantial. Aha! So it's that aha. That's the the informing quality that that uh, that says, "Okay, uh, take note of this, remember this, be aware of this," and then that that recognition 
of the effect of uh, applying this quality of, of awakened awareness, this wisdom, then that informs our attitude in the future. That it becomes much easier not to be drawn into excitements and fears and opinions and uh, attractions and aversions. So we're less dazzled by the bright and the loud and the, and the mobile. And then in that lack of bedazzlement, then the heart is more able to appreciate that underlying suchness of, of the present reality. It's uh, going back to Lumpur Chao's comments about, about the Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. And that was the last advice he gave to, to Ajahn Sumedho. Uh, that was the last communication they had in words, that, that message. Because shortly after Ajahn Chah sent that, a couple of months later, then he had this some kind of stroke or stroke-like event that... Um, after which he was his speech and his mobility were very very limited and uh, he uh, didn't give any more dhamma talks after that time so it was really the last message to ajahn sumedho like okay sumedho here's your final instructions establishing these monasteries in the west and teaching <laughs> spreading dhamma in the world you know th- these are your instructions so that uh, 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 it might seem like that is a kind of more likely that Ajahn Chah, if he knew that his physical collapse was coming, he would give uh, Ajahn Sumedho as his chief Western disciple a, a long list of do this, don't do that, and always do this, and never do that, and, 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 and uh, a kind of catalogue of, of do's and don'ts. But he didn't. He just gave this one principle. And, uh, and I feel that I've reflected on this a lot over the years, and I think that if we, and the reason behind it, I would say, is that if that, that uh, uh, principle of not attaching to, to time and location identity, not, not identifying with the conditioned realm, um, can be uh, realized and embodied, if there's a letting go of those worldly aims and values and the, the awakening to that that quality, that, that the the dhamma which is not found in moving forwards or going or moving backwards or standing still, then the result of that is progress. <laughs> Things do progress when you, when you let go of measurement, you let go of of designation, you let go of of the world of things. Then, mysteriously and ironically, strangely, then things really develop. <laughs> That's the the, the uh, weird the weird way it seems to work, you let go of the world completely and then things develop really well. <laughs> if you hang on to the world and try to make it like this and not like that and you're, uh, you have a whole program of how, how you want, you're determined that things are going to develop, then they don't take shape so well, in my experience. So I feel it's, uh, it's ironic and, uh, and wonderful that uh, it's through letting go of uh, of the mind that measures, that compares, that uh, that creates uh, some things, and that uh, is buying into designations. When that's all let go of, then that's what helps uh, things to to flourish and, and blossom and reach their full potential. So I see nine o'clock has come around. So I offer these words for consideration this evening. <laughs>